Parashat Vayishlak, its eighth Torah portion, comes at us, and it is, of course, we're still in the saga of Yaakov, and this is a very uh, deep and uh, a part of the Torah, and it talks about the lives of the patriarchs and all kinds of uh, revelations, prophetic things that are happening. There's just so much to talk about that um, it's kind of hard to kind of just nail it down, you know, and... And uh, you only have so much time, right? You could talk for hours and hours and days on this. But as I was looking at it, you know, I was just getting some encouragement this week, particularly in dealing with life's difficulties, you know, and I saw a bit of a pattern with some help that through effort and prayer, we can endure and persevere. And there's some good lessons this week on effort and prayer. You know, those two things kind of put together in this week's Parsha. And so uh, I thought I'd speak on that a little bit this morning, of course. Where we're at this week is the dreaded confrontation that Yaakov knew he was going to have to encounter with his brother. Um, It's been 20 years has elapsed since he escaped, right? He uh, bought the uh, birthright and and, uh, acquired the blessing from his brother, uh, or from his father, his brother's blessing. So it's been 20 years, and Yaakov's gone through some, um, it hasn't been the easiest 20 years, but he's through it. And now it seems uh, that he's going to be headed back there. And so um, you begin to wonder, he's probably wondering, you know, is everything going to be all right? It was a few chapters earlier that he is uh, he's probably wondering, is his brother still mad? Because when he left, his brother was pretty upset and his mother warned him not to come back. Um, I'm going to start actually this morning on page 28. This is a couple parashahs ago. It's chapter 27 of Bereshit, or the book of Genesis. Um, I guess on page 29. It's the very end of the chapter. This is the warning as uh, this is 20 years prior to this week's Torah portion. And there's a little bit of a warning here, and this is the last thing that he remembers of, uh, of his family. Chapter 27, verse 41, reads, Esau hated his brother because of the blessing his father had given him. Esau had said to himself, uh, the time for mourning my father um, will soon come, and I will kill my brother Yaakov. But the words of Esau, her older son, were told to Rivka. She sent for Yaakov, her younger son, and said to him, here your brother Esau is comforting himself over you by planning to kill you. Therefore, my son, listen to me. Get up and escape to Levan, my brother in Haran. Stay with him a little while until your brother's anger subsides. Your brother's anger will turn away from you and he will forget what you did to him. Then I'll send and bring you back from there, why should I lose both of you on the same day? And so this is, uh, he takes off and 20 years goes by. I mean, maybe he was wondering if that old adage is true, does time heal all wounds? I'm not sure that theoretically it should if we're all forgiving one another, but realistically, I think time heals some wounds. Hopefully time, he's thinking, is uh, 
going to be successful in appeasing his brother's anger because he's about to head home. On his way back home, he prepares for the encounter, Yaakov does, by a couple of different things, right? Uh, first, well, let's go through this and read this um, for, um, because the, someone listening online might not have the scriptures in front of them. And so this week's Torah portion begins in Bereshit chapter 32, verse 4. This is uh, during our readings in this week's service. This is where David uh, began reading. I'm not going to read um, nearly as much as he did, just kind of the first section here of uh, chapter of this week's Torah portion, Vaishlak. Yaakov sent messengers ahead of him to Esau, his brother, toward the land of Seir in the country of Edom with these instructions. Here's what you're to say to my lord Esau. Your servant Yaakov says, I have been living with Levan and stayed until now. I have cattle, donkeys, and flocks, and male and female servants. I am sending to tell you this news to my lord in order to win your favor. The messengers returned to Yaakov, saying, We went to your brother Esau, and he's coming to meet you. With him are 400 men. That's not very good news. Yaakov became greatly afraid and distressed, so he divided the people, flocks, cattle, and camels with him into two camps, saying, if Esau comes to the one camp and attacks it, at least the camp that is left will escape. Then Yaakov said, God of my father Avraham and God of my father Yitzchak, Adonai who told me, return to your country and your kinsmen and I will do you good. I'm not worthy of all the love and faithfulness you have shown your servant since I have crossed the Jordan with only my staff. But now I have become two camps. Please rescue me from my brother Esau. I'm afraid of him, afraid he'll come back and attack me without regard for mothers or children. You said, I will certainly do you good and make your descendants as numerous as the grains of the sand by the sea, which are so many they can't be counted. So he stayed there that night, and then he chose from among his possessions the following as a present for Esau, his brother. 200 female goats and 20 males, 200 female sheep and 20 males, 30 milk camels and their colts, 40 cows and 10 bulls, and 20 female donkeys and 10 colts, a whole lot of animals here. He turned them over to his servants, every drove by itself, and said to his servants, cross over in front of me and keep a space between each drove and the next one. He instructed the servant in the front, when Esau, my brother, meets you and asks you, whose servant are you, where are you going, and whose animals are these, then you are to say, they belong to your servant Yaakov, and they are a present he has sent to my lord Esau, and Yaakov himself is just behind us. And then he instructed the second servant and the third, and all that followed the droves, when you encounter Esau, you're to speak to him in the same way. And you are to add, and there just behind us is your servant Yaakov. For he said, I will appease him first with a present that goes ahead of me, then after I will see him myself, and maybe he will be friendly to me. And after that, I will see him myself, and maybe he'll be friendly towards me, right? Um, so the present crossed over ahead of him, and he himself stayed uh, that night in the camp. So Yaakov here does a few different things on his way home. The first thing he does is he uh, divides the, his whole family into two camps. I guess that's, um, yeah, that's a strategy. <laughs> the second thing that he did, of course, was he appealed 
for the safety of his family. What did he do? He prayed. He prayed about the situation. And the third and final approach was a whole, uh, he's just showering his brother with gifts, round after round after round of all kinds of animals and uh, just great stuff to butter him up. And of course, he reminds the Lord in his prayer that he's going to be blessed for all this stuff. And so, um, I don't know. It's sort of like, was there a lack of faith on his part that he is uh, praying on the one hand to Adonai, but on the other hand, it seems he is doing all these things, uh, showering gifts, splitting up his family. That kind of shows a little bit of a lack of faith in the promises, but on the other hand, he prays. Um, but I don't know. That's, we are much the same way. It's not unusual or out of character for us to do the same thing. We have strategies in place, we do efforts, um, but we, only, we also uh, put things to prayer. For example, would any one of us, um, when we have physical pain or afflictions or illness or serious illness or disease, would we choose to just only pray and just put it all in Adonai's hands and just call it good? I mean, I think most of us would do that, but we would also try to uh, tap into God-given resources like the Council of Physicians and uh, the blessings he's given them and uh, somebody that might be a little more educated in the field of medicine to help us out as well. I mean, you could phrase the question, would wanting health insurance be a lack of faith? I don't think so. I think it goes hand in hand with prayer. You know, it's effort and prayer. God does, of course, provide miracle healings, but he also provides resources for our needs, and he certainly answers prayer. Sometimes when our efforts and when our prayers are aligned with him, that's when we can see it all really happening. We can see God's, God's work. There's a great lesson on prayer in here that I had read when it slowed it down a little bit. When you look at his prayer in chapter 32 there, in verses 8 and 9, what does he say? Saying if Esau is the one that uh, if Esau comes to the camp and attacks it, at least the camp that is left will escape. Then Yaakov said, God of my father Abraham, God of my father Yitzchak, Adonai told me, return to your country and your kinsmen, and I'll do you good. He says, I'm not worthy of all the love and faithfulness you have shown me. So he starts out by um, reminding God, based on the merits of Abraham and Yitzchak of how they lived that uh, there's promises there. But he also has a, uh, a great, there's a great air of humility here, being humble. You know, uh, this is a great example of coming before God with prayer and humility, in a state of humility. He says, I'm not worthy. And he makes the humble declaration that he's never been worthy of God's love and faithfulness towards him. Um, I am unworthy of all the kindness and of all the truth that you have done with your servant. The truth, of course, comes through the spoken word of God, and we see him as a humble servant, and that's a great uh, foundation for building our faith. In his notes on this um, little stretch of uh, scripture here, Rob Lorberg cites that it's important to note in the petition Regardless of the duress or anxiety of the situation, we should always follow on the heels of humility. 
Being humble is very important in um, being prepared for prayer. And Rav Lorberg cites 2 Chronicles 7.14. We don't get in the book of 2 Chronicles a whole lot, so I thought, oh, that'd be fun to crack uh, this open here to the book of 2 Chronicles. Page 1191 in the Stearns, if you have a different version of Scripture. It's 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14. We'll probably start in verse 12. Yes, we'll start in verse 12. So the context here is King Shlomo had just, you know, he's finishing building the uh, tabernacle or the, the temple. And, of course, the uh, temple's filled up full of smoke. I mean, it's Adonai's, uh, Adonai's there in the house. And uh, so he, uh, he appears to Shlomo here and says to him, okay, Second uh, Chronicles verse, chapter 7, verse 12. Adonai appeared to Shlomo by night and said to him, I've heard your prayer and have chosen this place for myself as a house of sacrifice. If I shut up the sky so that there is no rain, or if I order locusts to devour the land, or if I send an epidemic of sickness among my people, then if my people who bear my name will humble themselves, pray, seek my face, and turn from their evil ways, I will hear from heaven, forgive their sin, and heal their land. So there's a couple things to draw out of this here. First is that humility is prior to prayer. You know, our posture in life should always be one of humility, right? It should be that way. But it's not easy because we can be a proud people. We're proud Americans. I'm a proud parent. I have magnet pictures of my kids all over the fridge. We are proud of business success that we have. It's um, just part of being human that we're proud of good things. But we need to balance that out by being mindful of where those blessings come from. Always need to be mindful of that. If we can mentally circle that back and thank God for all the great things that are happening to us, we can cultivate humility in our spirits. The second thing I thought was helpful in this here is the thought that turning from their evil ways means turning towards his good ways. Adonai revealed, of course, his good ways in the Torah. That's the foundation. So responding to um, difficult times in life, whether it be whether what Yaakov went through um, and many of his difficulties or what the people may face here um, that Adonai is warning King Shlomo about. There is um, humility and there's some effort that needs to take part to help get through life. Responding to life, it takes some effort and work on our part. But it's work in conjunction with prayer. Efforts in life in conjunction with prayer, if it's aligned with Adonai's will, that can work. Yaakov was applying all his efforts in conjunction with prayer, and that did work. Back to this week's Torah portion, I'm going to read just a couple verses in chapter 33. This is sort of the uh, conclusion of uh, he's met his brother, Everything seems to be going fine. Bereshit chapter 33, verse 1. 
So Yaakov raised his eyes and looked out, and there was Esau coming and 400 men with him. Um, that this is him meeting his brother. So Yaakov divided the children between Leah and Rachel and the slave girls, putting the slave girls and their children first, Leah and her children second, and Rachel and Yosef last. Then he himself passed on ahead of them and prostrated himself on the ground. He bowed before him seven times before approaching his brother. Esau ran to meet him, hugged him, threw his arms around his neck and kissed him, and they wept. Esau looked up, and upon seeing the women and children, he asked, who are these with you? And Yavkov answered, "These, uh, the children of God have graciously, the children God has graciously given to your servant." Then the slave girls approached with their children, and they prostrated themselves. Leah too, and her children approached and prostrated themselves. And last came Yosef and Rachel, and they prostrated themselves. Esau asked, "What was the meaning of this procession of droves I encountered?" And he answered, "It was to win my lord's favor." Esau replied, I have plenty already, my brother. Keep your possessions for yourself. Yaakov said, no, please. If I have won your favor, then accept my gift. This favor he's talking about in the Hebrew is chen. Chet nun, of course. Um, very common Hebrew word, something many of us are very familiar with. Chen is the word for favor here. Um, Lancaster comments on this. To find favor, or chen, in someone's eyes means you have won their approval, right? It implies that the person sees you in some merit or redeeming quality. The Hebrew word chen, or favor, translates into the New Testament Greek as charis, which English translations render as grace. It's a little ironic to hear many teachers explain that grace means unmerited favor. On the contrary, from a Hebraic perspective, it means merited favor. It's something that is worked for. Now, there is some favor that Adonai places upon people that are unmerited, but it seems to me that as a general rule, finding favor in someone's eyes takes some work. I think this is something we can all connect with. If I want to find favor in my wife's eyes, it doesn't happen by me sitting on my couch playing on the phone all day. That doesn't foster favor in my wife's eyes. I wish there was unmerited favor, but favor takes merit with her. Adonai wants us to seek his favor, but he also helps us as well. It's not just all us. Um, the last verse I have to help us kind of get over that little hump is 2 Corinthians chapter 9, page 1447. We'll I want to talk about a little bit more about seeking favor and our, uh, our efforts for that. Because whenever, whenever you hear about effort and works, sometimes people get a little worried about this. 2 Corinthians chapter 9 He's being uh, Rav Shaul, or the Apostle Paul, is trying to be just encouraging here. We're going to start in verse 6. Yes, here's the point, he says. He who plants sparingly also harvests sparingly. That makes sense. Each should give according to what he has decided in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Moreover, God has the power to provide you with every gracious gift in abundance. That's charis there. That's 
That's favor. You could almost say God has the power to provide you with a favor in abundance, right? So that always in every way you will have all you need yourselves and be able to provide abundantly for every good cause. Or you could say every good work. Every other translation just about you will read says for every good work, including the Tree of Life version. It's in the Greek there, of course, that's ergo. So it's, there's good works that's being provided, and there's help from Adonai. There's, there's uh, the spirit working within the person, strengthening efforts. Efforts we put forth when uh, we find favor with Adonai, the spirit strengthens those efforts. And, and uh, when our efforts and prayers are aligned, we see God's hand working through them both for our own well-being. Once efforts in seeking Adonai look different for different people, by that I mean everyone has a different amount of revelation given to them. Some people may close their eyes to the truth, but some seek after him. Yaakov had revelation. We've been reading about that. He had the ladder with the angels coming up and down. He had fought with the angel of Adonai. Um, Rav Shaul had revelation, right? The road to Damascus. And he had to respond in line with his will. And all of us, I think, have had some sort of revelation, be it a dream, perhaps, be it an encounter of some kind, or just uh, something nudging in your mind uh, about truth. And we responded, uh, but the fact that we're all sitting in this room or listening online is some sort of response to some kind of revelation that was given to you by God. It's a great step. We need to keep on going. But if we're humble and our humble prayers align with all our efforts, whatever that may look like in seeking him, then life becomes a little more doable. There will be times of distress and strife. Um, Yaakov in this week's Torah portion just went through about 20 years of it. And that was after receiving great revelation from Adonai. So sometimes receiving revelation doesn't always instantly mean a life of peace and abundance. Sometimes there's uh, times of trial and strife we must go through first. But the path to peace and well-being is made easier when built on humbleness and humble prayer and a path of discipleship that has Torah as that foundation and Yeshua as the cornerstone in that foundation. So I'll leave you with this blessing. Um, may we all seek humility and work to live humbly and go before him humbly and may the spirit uh, in us do good work and strengthen us and encourage us to do good work. And may we have peace and contentment in all our beings for all he has blessed us with. Shabbat Shalom.